Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Here we go. It is another episode of Bleacher Blums. We have been splitting our time working our way around the Blue Wire Network. It was a lot of fun to uh, be on a competitor or a teammate, whatever you want to call it, it's a podcast with the uh, the Bronx Pinstripes. It was a lot of fun to talk. And I tell you what, Andrew knows his stuff over there on the, the Bronx Pinstripes uh, <laughs> uh, podcast. And it was a lot of fun to talk to him. I, may, I, I usually feel like I'm prepared, but I feel like he was overly prepared and kind of put us in some tough situations, asking us some tough questions, which I actually enjoyed because – being on the outside looking in and not having the most favorable opinion of what is going on with the New York Yankees, it was a lot of fun to get the insight and realize that there is a lot of turmoil over there. And I'm sure that didn't disappoint me or Tuttle. But Tuttle, man, how are you doing, dude? Doing great, Blummer. And I agree. Yeah, it was great to uh, be on Bronx Pinstripes. And I'm I'm really excited that you felt the same way I did. I always felt like I was underprepared. I'm like, gosh, Blummer does this for a living. He gets on and he talks about the lineups and he knows the hitters. And, you know, we both have a relationship with Aaron. And uh, I felt like, yeah, I felt the same way. I left that podcast going, man, I got to I gotta get my, my stuff squared <laughs> away because he was like, well, if they fire the manager now and this guy went in and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was really, uh, it was nice to see how well-prepared Andrew was. And as you said, it uh, it'll make me sharper moving forward, but it also gives you um, a different perspective. And so I, I enjoyed uh, doing that uh, this week. And uh, and it was uh, like I said, it was eye opening for me and just another another little uh, feather in our cap, you know, on the Blue Wire Network. Yeah, absolutely. How about this? You know, that was really the first time that, you know, you and I coming up in the same generation and knowing the same people in baseball. Um, you know, having the White Sox in town, their coaching staff is interesting. I may talk about that a little bit later, but um, it was just, that was the first time I was ever like really called to the carpet about a friend in the business. And that's where I got kind of locked up a little bit was, oh my gosh, you know what? Aaron Boone is not just my friend. I thought it was cool. He was a manager. And now I'm going, man, this guy's actually under some scrutiny up in New York, man. I never thought that would be a thing. And then to be confronted about it, I was like, what the, I don't know how you felt. Yeah, no, I felt the exact same way. And you're probably a little closer with him. Uh, you know, I haven't talked to him in a little while, but I, it made me think of Dave Roberts more or less and you're friends with him too. But mm-hmm. how we end up being, um, I, I always go back to Bull Durham because I had that same experience, but it's like, hey, uh, hey, Crash, uh, we want come in the office and shut the door. I got to talk to you. And it just made me realize <laughs> that how, not callous we get, but how that how we got used to that. You know, you got traded before. It was like, all right, you're getting on an airplane, oh, yeah. you're going to this new city. It's the business part. It's the business part. So when he called us to, like you said, when you get called to the carpet, um, yeah, you have to be a little bit politically correct or you have to think about how to say it. But I think, you know, Aaron and Dave and any of our friends in baseball that are working in baseball understand the business of it as well. And look at Gabe Kapler, who got fired and it looked like everything mm-hmm. was going haywire for him. And now he looks like, you know, looks like he's in the right career choice. AJ Hinch had the same experience and we know these guys and oh, yeah. it almost is like, you know, pitchforks and, you know, guys storm in the castle. Like we got to get rid of this guy. Another team grabs him and they do well. So when it, when, when I think about it in that perspective, it's kind of like, Hey, this is a really tough place for Aaron to have his first managerial job. But if he got fired from the Yankees and he still wanted to manage, I feel like he could go to another team and do a good job. And so I think oh, yeah. us being honest about what that dynamic is, we just don't know. 
you just don't know. I asked you last podcast about Phil Nevin and Aaron and was it tough that Phil went out there and defended a guy and Aaron didn't get thrown out and, you know, Phil did and all that. It's like, look, we honestly, as long as we've been around the game and as much as, as well as we know those guys, you just don't know the dynamic and what's going on. And, and, you know, so I feel comfortable saying and answering questions how we did, but, uh, but it is, it was, it was interesting to be called, like you said, kind of called to the carpet if for lack of a better word. It was like, how dare you ask me about Aaron Boone? He is my friend and he is doing a wonderful job. Oh but, yeah. Uh, you and know, the Yankees just, are happy. The, <laughs> <laughs> the Yankees are not happy. It's actually kind of astonishing. I'm glad you bring up the San Francisco Giants because uh you know, this weekend that we're recording, uh, you know, the Chicago White Sox are in town against the Houston Astros, which brings up its own unique dynamic when I, you know, when I'm calling games, but they have one of the best records in baseball and come to find out the San Francisco Giants are right at the top with them as far as one of the best records in baseball. Um, you being a Giants fan and talking about Gabe Kapler, who, yes, we both know and have experience being around, are you shocked by what they're able to do? Because you can see them doing it for a month, but doing it for you know two and a half, almost three months now, that's almost halfway through the season that these guys are leading the National League West. I think I'm shocked like everybody else because of the, um, I guess, the lack of name recognition. And honestly, we I've been candid on this podcast. Yeah, your strength isn't of- good enough for you? Hey, well, <laughs> his grandfather was fantastic, but yeah, right. There you go. Name recognition. Yeah. He has it in spades. Aren't you related to, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I, I just think, I, yeah, no, I know you are, but I just think that I've been candid about, I'm not a great scout and you and I talk about analytics and eyeball test. And if, you know, if you get into like a preseason roster and start going down rosters, we probably could have been a little bit more in tune to the fact that they have a good squad put together. But I also think like a Brandon belt, you know, and uh, is probably playing kind of over what he normally does, maybe because he's in the right role, but they just, you know, and we talked about on the Bronx pinstripes uh, podcast about the fact that they got Talkman. So, you know, there are these little pieces that kind of come and go that you're not really sure about, but I would say I'm as surprised as anybody else, just because they don't have that name recognition. And I think the teams that always end up being the favorites are obviously the Padres this year in the American league West. Cause they have, you know, three, $300 million guys on their roster. Um, you have the Dodgers who you billion think, you dollar know, roster. That's right. They have a billion dollar roster. The Yankees and the Red Sox always have a billion dollar roster. So you start looking at those types of teams and they have to be the favorites. But I have always said this. I will go down with the ship saying this is and you know this very well is being in a locker room is about chemistry. It's about are we all rowing the boat in the same direction? And I think that's what I brought up on the Bronx Pinstripes podcast is that you can get the best player at every position but it's really how you put those Lego pieces or those puzzle pieces together. And I think that is the real key to a GM. And that's why we, um, that's why back to the White Sox, that's why I was actually worried about the White Sox, even though Tony La Russa told you, Hey, I don't have to do a lot of managing. I just, you know, I put, I write the lineup mm-hmm. card and these guys go out and do it is that I thought he might upset that balance, you know, because you know, the new school manager, the old school manager with new school players, I just think that chemistry and that um, support is really important. And I think that gets overlooked. No, you're right. And going back to talking about managers and their impact on a team, not only can they get in there and do a good job like we saw with A.J. Hinch here with Houston when he was here is he could galvanize those guys. But at the same time, you can have a manager that can separate himself from the team and actually the team can rally around each other and create a better dynamic and go out and play hard despite 
the manager as, you know, or in spite of the manager, you know, you can kind of play against him too and say, you know what, we're going to go out and rake no matter what this guy puts a position, this guy puts us in. Uh, so it kind of can work both ways, but uh, it is definitely old school, new school, a lot going on. You talked about the National League West and talking about the Giants. I think the reason everybody discounted the Giants is because of the Padres and their payroll and the Dodgers and their payroll. And that kind of leads into the bulk of what we're going to talk about here on Bleacher Blums is Trevor Bauer is one of the guys who's been at the forefront of accusing, using, and talking about the sticky stuff. Whether it be spider tack, rosin, sunscreen, pine tar, whatever your preference is in going out there and doing your business, creating spin rate or creating control. Uh, there was an interesting YouTube uh, you know, uh, interview that I just saw that was sent to us from our producer, Mark Ramos, who's doing a fantastic job. And I only say that because he's on here listening to us right now. But <laughs> it was a great YouTube uh, and he was explaining to their pre and post game that, uh, you know, there should be something that they can use universally. And guess where you heard it first? Right here on Bleacher Blums, talking about a universal substance that uh, players can use. Uh, and how about there is precedent for something being in use for pitchers to get a better grip. And it's always sitting behind the mound in a sanitary on the field for all of the world to see. It's rosin. How come we can't just get another substance to enhance the rosin and help these guys do it? So I'm kind of on the side of the pitcher, and I know that you are too, Tuttle, but uh, any initial thoughts as far as some of the rulings that have come down, if you want to talk about it, because this midseason change seems one of the dumbest ideas I've ever I've ever heard of. And, uh, you know, even in the NFL, the NBA, whatever rules they implement, I feel like the other leagues usually do it in the offseason. And... Gives the you know the offseason an opportunity for guys to adjust, but doing it midseason is idiotic. And any other thoughts on what uh, substances might be able to be used? Yeah, you know, I've said this a million times on our podcast, which is tell me what the rules are, and then I'll play by those rules. That's fine. I think you bring up an excellent point with that rosin bag. So now they're putting logos behind the mound, but that rosin <laughs> bag's probably been sitting there since Satchel Paige was playing or Cy Young. I mean, the rosin bag has been back there. It's part of the game. Um, it's always funny to watch the groundskeeper come out and throw it on there and poof, you know, it's like, it's like LeBron, LeBron yeah. <laughs> before the game. You get, that's right. You get that little poof. But I think, I mean, that to me shows that since the beginning of time, at least the beginning of baseball time, that they have been aware that, hey, we get sweaty and we need mm -hmm. to have a better grip on the ball. I will keep hammering the point that since uh, Major League Baseball purchased the baseballs in uh, 2019 or 2017, 2019, right? They purchased Rawlings. Um, yeah, that was a huge spike in home runs. That's right. So ever since they did that, I mean, we still need, you know, the seams are lower, the ball's harder. It's a lot more like a golf ball. There are some things that we still need to do to grip the baseball. And so I will go down with the ship again, saying that those guys, hitters alike, yourself included, want the pitchers to have a good grip. Now, we did get into on the other podcast, Bronx Pinstripes, about spin rates and how high those are and what the, you know, what the logistics are. But back to your original point, they shouldn't be making this change mid-season. Tell me what the rules are. I'll play by those rules. And then, again, you did hear it here first. What's wrong with, hey, you guys bought the baseballs. Let's buy this spider tech company or let's buy, you know, a company, a sunscreen Monetize company. Monetize it, and have license them, you know, it, slap the label on it, yeah. and get, let's go. Yeah. 
Yeah, and let's put that behind the mound now, right? You can actually put some a logo go. on it, just like the basketball teams are now with a logo. So I think that's the best solution here. But tell me what the rules are. I'm going to play by those rules. But I, I'm, I like the idea of actually having the the whatever the substance is and putting it behind the mound. But I just think for Major League Baseball to go out there and and implement a rule unilaterally during the middle of a season is incredible. It would, you know, I can't, I don't know what to compare it to. You know, I saw something online. It might've been on one of my Twitter threads. It said it would be like, you know, them telling you, okay, no, no more. Can you use metal spikes on the baseball field? You have to go out there in tennis shoes. All of a sudden, everybody's slipping all over the place, making, you know, injuries galore. You can't run fast. You can't do things. Uh, or, you know, mine was, you know, if you're a guy who swings a bat who, that is 30 ounces because you want bat speed, what if Major League Baseball came in and said, hitters? You can no longer swing a light bat. You have to swing a 32-ounce bat and nothing less. I mean, that would completely alter a guy's ability to go out and play the game. And that's what's happening right now because Major League Baseball, who who governs the game, has never enforced this rule unless it was blatantly obvious, like a Michael Pineda splotch of pine tar on the neck, or if it was... Joe Necro throwing an emery board out of his back pocket. There were some egregious moments where you were obviously trying to cheat and gain an advantage. Those guys were ejected. But otherwise, if you were able to be more discreet, you were able to go out and do that. And, you know, that's why I'm not faulting the pitchers for going out there and doing it or saying they're doing it. It's just, this is like Tuttle just said, the rules, even though they're written, were not enforced. So that's what the players played under. And to change it midseason and say you're going to enforce a 10-game suspension? Are you freaking kidding me? If you touch the back of a hitter or if you if you uh, pick up a bat and put it in the, in, the, in the bat rack to be nice for the bat boy, all of a sudden you, as a pitcher, you've got pine tar in your hand and you get ejected for that? you got to be kidding me, man. This is What I mean by this could backfire on uh, Major League Baseball is that changing midseason is not only dumb, but it proves that Manfred and this rules committee have absolutely no feel for what's going on in the game of play. And that's going to come back to haunt them in the CBA. Because if I get to the negotiating table and you start to throw things at me and you want to negotiate, I'm going to go look at this dumbass move you made in the middle of a season. This proves to me that we we know what's going on in the game and you don't. Well, this is that dictatorship thing too, right? So the collective bargaining agreement's coming up and now you're going to go say, oh, well, you you guys, you know, put down this rule, this rule, and this rule without consulting us. Where it, as Garrett Cole, as foolish as he sounded um, two weeks ago and now kind of as whiny as he sounded this week, he did make the point of why aren't you talking to us? Talk to us about like why we're doing this and what we need to do to improve it. Let's have a committee. That's how most of these th- most of these things get solved. And that was my point. That's what Mark texted me and I forgot. Um, he asked me about the 10 game suspension. But if you get ga- suspended 10 games, I think they made it that way for starters, right? Well, it's starters, similar to the injured list starts, for pitchers. One start. The injured list for pitchers is 10 games. Right. Uh, players is 15. Right. And, but I'm just saying because it would be two starts, not one start, you know, instead of, oh, yeah, he can just bump them one start. They had to extend it out to 10 games. But, yeah. but I, t- I texted back that it's logical consequences. That's how my mom raised us in our house. The consequences, they're still getting paid. There was, it wasn't suspended without pay. It's suspended with pay. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, all right, well, great. Maybe I just, you know, my arm's a little sore, a little tired. <laughs> I'll go out there with like all kinds of stuff on my hat, like one of those little like twirly birds. Like, yeah, I've got <laughs> gum here and stuff here. And they suspend you 10 Start games. Start doing the Gaylord and- Perry where you're touching everything. 
That's right. Just, you know, got everything everywhere. And then, all right, great. I'll get suspended 10 games, but I'll get my paycheck and I can, you know, uh, take take an extra uh, kind of a midseason break. So the caveat to that is, you know, there's a potential managers get kicked out or, you know, the your catcher gets kicked out because the pine tar is coming from a shin guard, whatever. But they do, they're talking yeah. about not allowing you to fill that roster spot either. So you're going to lose a roster spot or two, yeah. which would be absolutely frightening for a 10 game, you know, series or, or a series of 10 games. Yeah. Because, you know, in baseball, when you're playing every day, so many things can happen and you need those bodies to get through some of those games because you don't know how many days off you have. But, uh, you know, the rule implemented is just it's insane to me to do it in the middle of the season. Yeah, midseason. And and I will say this so that you you and I talked about this a little bit off air. So, it, I mean, uh, as asinine as implementing the rule midseason is, uh, Tyler Glasnow was blaming the fact that he couldn't use substances in his last two starts on his injury. And I think that that's asinine as well. <laughs> it, it is. I think that blaming it on that, it, it, you know, the Tommy John and all my experience, and I've had the chance to actually get on the field this week and talk to some people about, you know, you know, claims by pitchers and, you know, and stuff like that. And I don't know who uses and who doesn't use, but when you hear glass now come out, obviously he, he trained with it and as functioning with it. But the, the fact that Tommy John is more of a wear and tear injury just kind of takes away from his idea that the not using the stickum to get a better grip led to him getting the you know UCL injury. And I thought I, there was a little bit of a flaw in that philosophy for me. And I, I you know I don't want to be too harsh on the guy because he's probably hyper emotional, uh, knowing that he's going on the injured list with a Tommy John you know injury that's going to keep him out for nine to you know twelve months, but. You know, everybody I've talked to has always said that Tommy John is just a wear and tear type issue. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm sure that maybe gripping the ball a little bit tighter because he didn't have the stickum led to maybe a little more stress and maybe sped up the process. But I, I think blaming the stickum for a Tommy John injury is is a little ridiculous, or else there'd be 15 other guys out there with uh, with the injury right now. Yeah, that's a great point. But I will say to your point, uh, and and I made this on on this podcast, we talked about bats before, right? Like you used to get your box of bats, your six bats, and you take them out and you're like, this one feels good. This one doesn't feel good. It is such a feel sport. I mean, feeling of the baseball, feeling of the bat and the weight that you have to believe. And this is why we're saying that this is uh, insanity that they're implementing this in the middle of the year is forget injuries and forget like how sticky the ball is and spin rates for a second. And let's talk about feel and how important. I mean, I used to look for a high seam. I was a sinker baller guy and I would always try to have, have that high seam on my inside finger, right? Because I felt like I could pull the ball and move the ball in a much more effective way. Obviously, with no seams on the baseball, you're trying to add a little sticky or a little tack so that you can get that same feel for the baseball. But again, I, I feel like we're just beating a dead horse here is that Hitters want pitchers to know where the ball is going. And then you as a hitter want to be able to see this, like whatever, true rotation or true spin on the ball. Mm -hmm. And as long as they're using the grip to do that, I think, again, we're still we're still have we still have the same game of baseball. And I will um, I will kind of I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I'm not saying, hey, steroids, we should legalize those and everybody can have steroids. But I remember three or four Olympics ago where they did the swimsuits where they wore those full body swimsuits and everybody was setting world records by a second and a half and two seconds, which in that world <laughs> yeah. is like, 
you know, I mean, that's like hitting 600 foot home runs all of a sudden, right? It's like Major League Baseball buying uh, Rawlings and having Brett Gardner go from eight home runs to 27 home runs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you're changing the game, but you're changing it in in a way where, hey, this is forward thinking and this is what we're going to want to do. So let's establish what the rules are again and let everybody play by those rules. I, I don't think I almost think this is something that wasn't a huge, huge issue. And then all of a sudden, when Joe West went out to the mound, all of a sudden, Mike Schultz had a nine-minute press conference. All of a sudden, this is like, we need something to talk about. And this is, as baseball, typical baseball fashion, they have made this uh, a topic that they don't want out, you know, they don't want it out of the box. And now here we are talking about it It every day, all day. It's a panicked move. It's a panicked move. And, and, you know, they're like, oh, they're on to us. Let's do this. It's similar to the the steroid era. Oh. We got to test everybody. We're testing everybody. We're testing for amphetamines. We're going to freak out and panic on that. And then they went, yeah. uh, okay, the Yankees used a camera live time because replays implemented to get signs. Oh, slap on the wrist. Okay, nobody will do it after that. The Red Sox used the Apple Watch. Oh, crap. It's starting to morph and evolve a little bit. Slap on the wrist. Okay, now we're going to now we're gonna institute a, a rule that anybody that does it's going to get crushed. And it ends up being the Astros, the one that gets crushed. But that's kind of the progression or the evolution of this. And that's how it looks with this sticky stuff. Joe West stepped in and, you know, sparked the fire. And now here we have with a panic move, with a rule being instituted midseason, like the sign stealing issue in 2017. And is it really going to stop guys from doing it? Or are guys going to continue to do it and see if they can get away with it, which I think will still happen? And to your point about changing the game, what gets lost in this is the approach from major league hitters. They're still uppercutting. They're not cutting down with two strikes. They're they're you know they're not trying to uh, beat the shifts by going the other way. So it's kind of funny to me that you know that they they juice the ball in nineteen, and now they're taking away the sticky stuff to enhance offense to put the ball in play a little bit more. And the numbers are actually dictating that the players are the batting average is up. I think about 15 points. You know, the Astros are on an absolute home run tear right now. I don't know if that has to do with the lack of sticky stuff, but it's just funny to me that you know Major League Baseball keeps keeps messing with the game, like we said, without talking to the players and actually seeing what's going on. Because it's been kind of interesting to hear some players like Pete Alonso talk like I do, where use the spin. Use the use the command. Let me get in there and know that you're going to have the stuff that you're going to have on any given day. But it, I, I, what they're doing is just making no sense to me. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I said, you know, tell me what the rules are. You know, I do this in life as well. Um, I told you my wife always thinks I'm too even keel. But when you have a, a, a professional sport that's 162 games long, this is not a 16-game season or like the NFL now, a 17-game season. The basketball season used to be 55 games and they made it 70 to stretch that out for more revenue. But I mean, 162 games, this is, yeah, so it's it's revenue, but it's, it's a long season. Yeah. So you would think the decision-making process is the same. Like, hey, let's get a committee. Let's take this process slow and let's like brainstorm. And let's think about a good solution. Nope, 162 game season, boom. <laughs> in three weeks we've made it. Yeah, in three weeks we've panicked and made a decision that we think is going to be um, that's going to be the right one, and we know already that it's not. Uh, it's not having the desired effect, and it's going to go haywire. Yeah, and I want people to know too that the reason that pitchers are using the sticky stuff is because obviously it has you know weather is a huge factor. 
uh, whether it be cold and dry or you're, you're a, you know, middle of summer in Atlanta where there's a lot of humidity and you've got sweaty palms and you got, you need to figure out a way to get, to get a grip instead of wiping your hand off every single pitch and hoping for the best. And another thing that a lot of people don't know at home is that when Major League Baseball actually has rules on how to rub up baseballs, the thing is the, the you know, rubbing up the baseball is supposed to, you know, create tack on the ball and take some of the shine off it and make it a little more abrasive so that you can get that grip. But these baseballs sometimes are rubbed up 24 to 48 hours before the game those baseballs are actually being used in. And guess what happens to mud when you let it sit in an arid environment? It dries out. And I've heard stories about guys who actually, yeah, and you know this, Tuttle, because, I mean, in the minor leagues, they're not rubbing them up like they do in the big leagues. But I've heard stories about pitchers in the big leagues will reach into a game bucket of balls that are going to be used that day. They will pick it up, and they could actually hold it in front of their face and blow on it and go, and their dust will come off the ball. So tell me how that's conducive to a pitcher going out there and trying to perform at his best ability. And, uh, you know, those rules need to be changed. Maybe you change the way the baseball is rubbed up or how consistently it's rubbed up or, you know, the timing of it being rubbed up. Because I can't even imagine. It's one thing for the starter to deal with that. What if you're a closer coming in later in the game to shut out a tight game to win the division and you're, you're, you're out there throwing this dusty rock around? I mean, that's insane to me. Yeah. No, I've, I've had that experience. I mean, this is not a new thing. I mean, we used to rub up balls. The clubhouse guy used to rub up the balls in the back, and then some people had a machine to do it. But as you said, I mean, that mud cakes on. It's like, think about your shoes. You walk through mud, and the mud sticks to your shoe. And then two days later, you go out in the garage, and the mud that's on there, you just whack your shoes together, and it all falls off. I mean, it's not... This isn't like the ideal substance and they'll tell you, oh, well, we got the mud from the bayou of Louisiana and this mud is great because it doesn't, you know, it creates tack and it stays, you know, wet longer or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, the each pitcher is going to rub up the ball and get a feel. I, I keep going back to the feel thing. Screw the analytics. Let's talk about the feel. Each guy wants the ball to feel a certain way and they're going to rub it up and get it to kind of the feel that they're looking for. And I think, as we said already, since the beginning of time, at least the beginning of baseball time, since Abner Doubleday invented it, uh, there's been a rosin bag on the mound <laughs> so that guys can get a good grip on the ball. Yep. It's all about grip. And we're getting a grip on this podcast right here. We have exhausted that sticky substance. We have been ahead of the curve. I have no problem patting ourselves on the back about that one because we've had a great conversation about it. And uh, I think that's going to do it, at least in this particular episode, because by the time we talk again... It is going to be instituted. I think it's June 21st is when they are actually going to start implementing these rules. So stay tuned for next podcast when we talk again about who's getting suspended, what's happening, how these guys are adjusting. So it'll be a lot of fun to figure that out. But for right now, we got a word from our sponsor. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching 
so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right. Thanks. That was a word from our sponsor. And uh, Blummer, I just wanted to ask you this because you played with uh, Vladimir Guerrero, but I was looking at the home run leaders in the major leagues. And uh, one of them was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The guy right behind him or tied with him is a guy named Fernando Tatis Jr. Too bad. <laughs> I was just thinking too bad you have four daughters because, you know, Jeff Blum Jr. Like might be able to like. <laughs> and, I, I, and then it just made me look at the Blue Jays, right? They have Biggio and Bichette. And they're like, what is happening? I mean, I have three kids. I don't know if any of them are going to play professional sports, but is this. Is that an unusual thing? I mean, we talked about Yastrzemski earlier. I mean, what is happening? But the two home run leaders in Major League Baseball are sons of former big leaguers. What's what? What? I mean, what's happening? Let's go next level. They're two. They're ex. They're they're sons of ex big leaguers. They're also sons of ex big league teammates of yours truly. Yeah, I got to play with Fernando Tatis Jr. briefly when uh, he was in Montreal, and might have been part of the reason why I got traded from Montreal to Houston to get me out of there. And then uh, uh, Vlad Jr. is uh, obviously Vladimir Guerrero's uh, son. And I played with Vladdy all the way from double A to the big leagues and then three more years in the big leagues before uh, I got traded away. So there's a lot of experience there. And one of the funniest stories I, I love telling is that it might have been two years ago. It, it was it was the 2019 uh, spring training season and the Toronto Blue Jays planned an exhibition game in Montreal against the Toronto Blue Jays and the Mets. And my wife and I, I don't know what happened. We went out to dinner. We didn't have the kids that night. So we went out to dinner and we actually uh, stopped by this bar to uh, just have a you know post-meal drink and kind of enjoy the quiet time without the family and the chaos and enjoy looking at each other and having that adult you, you conversation. You do not have to really... explain that to me. Like how, how you know, when they do this, yeah. like on, on air, like just extend it. Like how many more drinks do we want? <laughs> Let's pull in here. Yeah, it is. Cause that's how it looks. You keep looking at each other. Are you ready to go home? No, nah, I'm not ready to go home either. You know? So we're sitting there and there's a, a baseball game is on, you know, in between glancing at each other, we're watching the game and we realize, you know, it's Mon- they're playing in Montreal and we start reminiscing about uh, teams I played for and, and experiences we had in the city of Montreal. And as we're doing that, the lineup is posted on the screen on a graphic. And like Tuttle just said, I believe it was Biggio leading off, Bichette hitting second, Vlad Jr. hitting third. And it just started to go down the line and we just kind of looked at it and went, Oh my gosh, are we old? Because everybody's kids are now in the big leagues. And what's funny is, is there's a there's a photo floating around the internet of of Vlad Jr. and Vlad Sr. tipping their cap on the field in Montreal. And I was actually there for that. So you know that brought back that memory. But my wife, and I'm gonna give my wife full credit for Vlad's success right now. Because in the tunnels in Montreal, when the families would hang out together, guess who my wife was flipping big wiffle balls and and stuff to, you know, a young, young future star in Vlad Jr. with that big red wiffle ball bat. Nice. She's in the tunnel tossing it to him as he's blasting away. 
And, you know, my wife's like, man, Vlad, Vlad Jr. is going to be pretty good someday. And here we are talking about him being a potential triple crown winner, man. Corey Blum missed her uh, her Mr. Window. She could be the, the next scout. I mean, as long as you're yeah. scouting the, the sons of... Uh, we should have asked for 10% back then. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Vlad, <laughs> look, uh, I promise I will throw... Uh, underhanded wiffle balls to your son every day in the tunnel if you just give me a little piece of his contract when he uh, ends up going to the big league so <laughs> that's great hey that's I, I, how does it make you feel do you think there is something about the bloodline in these guys to be able to get them to the big leagues because i think there's a little bit of talent obviously we'll say infused uh-huh. in these kids just because we're trying to be family oriented <laughs> but there's also the mentality, you know, that's with one thing I always thought about. And I still, with my girls, where they play volleyball and you talked about this with your daughter in soccer is the mentality of the game uh, also for these guys. So they've kind of got an edge with the talent they've got and having, you know, somebody who's experienced the big leagues. You know, it's funny because it'll, it'll has me circle back to Aaron again, because uh, you know, Aaron's dad, Bob played in the big leagues for a long time. Uh, strong, strong. Yeah. There. You know, uh, was a catcher at Stanford and then obviously an all-star catcher with the Phillies. Uh, and then Brett, his brother, played. And I just think by the time it got to Aaron. No, 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 no. Brett is not Brett. He's the boom. No, I know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going there. I, you know, he's, the, he's, he's like, he's like, no, he's Ricky Henderson light. Like, yeah, no, when Brett hits a ball, Brett hits it far. Yeah. yeah I'm the boon. Yeah. That's what he yeah. would tell you too. Yeah. So anyway, but that boon bloodline, it made me, it made me think about it when I met, uh, oh, and their grandfather, by the way, played in the big leagues too. Yeah. Ray Boone. Which, yep. Yep. Forgot about that. So what I think is by the time it got to Aaron, and Aaron may admit this, maybe he wouldn't. I know he doesn't listen to the Bleacher Blums podcast because uh, we're worried about him getting fired midseason. But the mentality for him, like, I don't think Aaron was as talented as Brett. And, you know, Brett would certainly say that. <laughs> but, but the mentality is exactly what you're talking about. And I think that was more apparent with Aaron than with any of the boons that I met or saw play. And I think if you're scouting a guy, I mean, we talk about on this podcast all the time and why we got along. We started talking about how we approach life and raising kids you know it's a grind man you just got to grind it out every day and i think when you have that mentality from birth and you've seen it with your grandfather and your father and your good point and so yeah i mean and 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 you know specifically back to like biggio and bichette and uh and vladdy jr guess where they grew up right i mean you know Laddie Jr. was in the tunnel in the when he was two or three years old. When the boys are allowed to go in, sometimes they don't yep. let the girls go in there. They get scared. You know, guys walking around with no towels on. That's uh, you can, you, you can just have the boys come into yeah. the locker room and and like you said, they get to see the camaraderie. They get to see the mentality. They get to see how hard their dad is working. You know, driving the ball the other way in those under uh, under the stadium tunnels. So I do think if I were scouting, if the kid had a little above average talent, but he had that mentality that would certainly raise him above some of the other guys. And I think that is what we see when those guys make the big leagues. I, but I will say that I do think it's a little bit of an unusual time. And maybe the unusual part is that they're all in the blue Jays. Maybe the scout took the approach like, Hey, look, if your dad played in the big leagues, I'm going to sign you. (laughs) I'm going to draft you and sign you. Like, I don't know. You're going to be a first round pick. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think it's cool. There's something to that too. I think, you know, if you had you know, let's say that you are that scout and you've been scouting uh, a couple of shortstops. One's Bo Bichette. The other one's just, a, you know, a good young ball player with the same skill set, has the same numbers. And if you put them next to each other and you say, here's player A, but player B has the similar skill set, but his dad played in the big leagues for 15 years. 
you may take the guy just because he's been around the game, may understand it a little bit better and understand that grind you're talking about because that's something you really can't teach is how to function inside the game. And, you know, even to even, you know, when you get to the big leagues, you know, Michael Brantley is a veteran presence inside the Astros clubhouse and guys who talk about Michael Brantley, whose dad, Mickey, played in the big leagues. They always talk about, you know, what what does it mean to have a veteran in your clubhouse? They help us get through a 162-game schedule. You know, there is a different psyche in understanding how to get through that. So I think that bloodline and I think that uh, ability to grow up in a clubhouse does give them a little bit of an edge. And how about the guy? I mean, it's one thing for the Blue Jays to draft, you know, sons of big leaguers. Those guys are pretty damn good, man. Their offense is going to be a joke. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And that's why I was saying we don't want to I don't want to just say, oh, yeah, the scouts like looking at, you know, big leaguer last names and drafting these guys. There's obviously some skill set and some ability there. Um, and, and we don't want to overlook that. You know, what's funny. I, you just triggered. I, I got to go back to the sticky substance rule. No, I'm kidding. Um, Brant, <laughs> Brantley. Right. So he grew up in a his dad was a big leaguer, 162 games like he provides mm-hmm. that even keel like, hey, this is how we're going to grind it out through the season. Major League Baseball, as you said, their rules committee and anybody that's implementing this rule could learn from that. It's like, hey, let's take a take a deep <laughs> breath. Like, let's sit back. Like, they should look at these guys because that's exactly um, how the, the veterans approach it. And you were in clubhouses like that. I mean, there's always that calming presence. The veteran guy. I mean, people used to talk about Larry Walker in a, in a way like that. I mean, Maddox obviously mm-hmm. was a goofball, but also had that just that you know, an even keel mentality and, and, you know, just led by example because he didn't get too high or too low or panic during, uh, during pressure situations. No, I agree. It's a fun topic to talk about too, because it does bring up the lineage and you start talking about, Oh, remember when Dante did this? Remember when Craig did that? You know, in, but two of the three are hall of fame dads too, by the way, yeah. you know, that's another, you know, entity that you have to deal with as far as being the young player and being the son of a hall of famer and being in the big leagues. Yeah. Because not only are you going to draw comparisons to your peers, you're going to draw comparisons to your dad, yeah. uh, which may be a little unfair. But uh, those guys are going out there and doing a phenomenal job. As far as not doing a phenomenal job, uh, getting back in the National League West, have you been paying attention to what the Arizona Diamondbacks are doing right now? Well, uh, only in the last few days because I know they were playing the uh, my 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 lauded San Francisco Giants. I looked at one game; it was seven nothing Diamondbacks, and then I was like, "Ooh, it's." I go and I go and then I looked that night and I goes, oh, it's eight to five in the seventh inning. That's great. And then I, I this is so funny because I was not watching the game. I got on ESPN right before I went to bed and I was like, oh, bases loaded, two outs, bottom of the ninth or whatever. And I'm like, oh, eight to five. I go, it's yes. not going to happen. Boom. And I woke up the next morning and it was nine, eight. So <laughs> if that is what you're referring to and that's the way their season's going, that is not a good that is not a good uh, thread, I guess. They have set a Major League Baseball record losing last night. 23 straight road games and they have lost. The last time they won a road game, this is unbelievable. This may be the kiss of death. The last road game they won was against the Atlanta Braves. Madison Bumgarner was the pitcher, and it was the illegitimate no-hitter he threw against the Atlanta Braves. That was their last win on the road. They have now gone 23 straight road losses to set a major league record, and that was April 25th. That is unbelievable. You know, the the Baltimore Orioles are currently behind them, I think, with either 18 or 19 losses in a row. This is unreal. It is unreal. 
But again, we talk about parity in the game and, you know, the Orioles and the Diamondbacks, I mean, their payrolls are low and, you know, I mean, they just, I, I don't know, they, they don't seem to- Tough be, divisions. They don't seem to be getting after wins. That's right. American League East and National League West are the two better divisions in baseball, typically. And, you know, if the Yankees don't watch out, they're just going to hover right above the Orioles and say, hey, look, we beat the Orioles. And everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's not going to sit well, well with anybody. Yeah. Hey, way to, way yeah. to do that. Hey, I do have a question. I know we have, you know, it's a podcast. We don't, we're not, we're not under a time crunch. Last night on your broadcast, I watched the end and right towards the end, you guys were talking about how the um, Astros went seven and three and they didn't gain any uh, games on the A's because the A's oh are gosh, on fire. Yeah. But you guys said the A's have played the most home games. Uh, 43, and I think the next closest was 36 or 37. The weird thing is when the graphic was up, the A's have won 43 games and lost 27. Is that accurate? Is it they've played 43 home games and they have 43 wins? I know they haven't won all their home games, but I was just wondering, as you guys said that yeah. graphic. No, that's accurate. That's crazy. So that that is... It's, it mean, is wild. It's the perfect description. They've played 43 home games. They're 43 and 27. <laughs> And they played 27 games on the road, I would assume, based on the uh, based on my math, which I mean, I, yeah, I that's, think, that's, you know, it's crazy. close to 25 or 26 wins. Yeah, I, yeah it is yeah. kind of funny how that did kind of match up. You know, that's something we really didn't recognize because we were just floored at the fact that the Astros have been so good, yet the, the A's have been that much better. And the only way they gain ground on them is by them not playing last night. So they gain a half a game. That's right. But, uh, you know, the Astros going on this run that they're on, playing against the competition they're playing. You would expect, and you know, this is something we do every day in our prep. Is you know, you fill out the the records, where they're at, how many games back, who's in the lead, where they're at in the division, and all of it. And you, it's like Groundhog Day when you fill out that line of your scorecard. You're like, well, the Astros won, so did the A's, and they don't gain any ground. It, it, it's absolutely obnoxious, but it's incredible to me the Oakland A's and Bob Melvin. If Bob, how is Bob Melvin not the manager of the year every single year? Because that guy. He is the absolute perfect example of Sisyphus. I mean, that boulder of, of an organization that he is continually pushing up the hill and never getting to the top is remarkable to me, you know, and he just continues to win. He finds a way, whatever the personnel they give him, he finds a way to win. And they're, they deserve to be at the top because they don't lose. It's incredible. Yeah, no, they're, they're fantastic. And we've talked about this maybe last year, I believe, but it's just, it, he is Sisyphus. I mean, they're going to get into the playoffs as they always do, and then they just fall short. They don't have the superstars like pitching yep. and defense superstars. So we know that they might win a first round series and they just won't get beyond that. And he must be comfortable with that. Or he just, like you said, wants to win with those that group of guys. Um, there was a fantastic article in The Athletic a couple months ago about Bob Melvin and the calming presence and the uh, the just the stability and the way he manages that's unique to baseball. And um, I think the thing that stood out to me is I remember, uh, I, I think I told you this, but uh, there's a guy that was, that wasn't out of options. And so he basically called the guy and said, look, you're going to be our guy. You're going to be going back and forth from Sacramento to Oakland, you know, consistently. Don't <laughs> let it get you down. You're going to go down and you're going to get a start in AAA and then you're going to come back up. And he said the player said specifically, like, no manager had ever said that to him. It was always like, come in here, you're going down, come in there, you're going back up. And just that comment and just that um, just that support that you're going to be an integral part of our team, but you're just going to be on that shuttle, and it's a business decision, has nothing to do with how you pitch down there or pitch up here. You're our guy, 
but you're going to go up and down. He said that made all the difference for him. And now I think he's a perennial big leaguer and uh, and was just really thankful for how Bob Melvin handled that. How, how amazing is it to be honest with somebody? I mean, it goes yeah. so so far. And, and, if, and as a player, if you know your defined role, guess what I'm going to do as a player? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best at that role That's right. because I, I know what you're expecting of me and I, I know what, right. how to prepare for it now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It is. No, and it works in all relationships and we've talked about that before. But you Completely. Know, it's really hard to punish your kids when you don't tell them what the chores are. When you tell them what the chores are and they do the chores, then hey – Great. Now we have a we have a communi- you know communicative relationship, and if you don't do them, then there's some consequences to that. And I think that works for yep. most relationships, professional, personal, and otherwise. Yeah, it definitely it goes further than just baseball. Do you got anything else? What do you got? Yeah. So uh, talk to me. A short Waddle Tuttle say. I would just say uh, I would recommend. Um, Ted Lasso. Uh, if nobody's watched that show on Apple TV, <laughs> I initially was not. Uh, too keen on, you know, watching Jason Sudeikis, who was a player on Saturday Night Live, do a character that seems so far-fetched, right? Taking a football coach in America mm-hmm. and sending him over to Britain. But I just wanted to, we talked about doing a book club or a TV show or a movie club here. I have watched, uh, season two got delayed a little bit because of COVID, but I just finished the first season of Ted Lasso. Season two comes out next month. I don't know if you've watched it, Blummer. I'm about halfway through it. Quite a good show, very entertaining, and he's like me. He's a super optimistic guy, and you almost think that all. Oh my sh- gosh, he, he is you to a T. Yeah, but he's like, but he's <laughs> like that aw shucks thing, and you're like, all right, this is gonna wear thin, uh-huh. and it doesn't wear thin, and he just and spoiler alert, sort of right. The first season's been over for a year. Um, he get, he redoes the uh, Allen Iverson uh, practice speech. We talking about practice, not a game. Uh, he does it with we one of his players. Practice? Oh, it's fantastic! It's great. He he gets on one of his star players with the practice speech. I don't know if you've seen it, but I would just say, mm-hmm. Bleacher Blums listeners, please head out, watch Ted Lasso, and let me know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We may have to have just some uh, some episodes where we break down some of our favorite uh, TV shows and movies. And rank some of these things, maybe albums that we you would listen the whole way through. Ooh. But uh, Ted Lasso is pretty good, and it is it, you know if you gave Tuttle that uh, Texan accent, that's basically who Ted Lasso is. <laughs> Just hyper positive, never gets beat down. Um, I am not. If there was the polar opposite of Ted Lasso, I might be that guy. I don't know. You're pretty optimistic when we're on this podcast. Yeah. When I throw something, you'll nod along. You're like, oh yeah. But maybe you bring all the joy to me. You bring all the joy to the podcast. I have to, it rubs off. There you go. Well, maybe, <laughs> right. You're not along going, yeah, you're not along going, uh, that's the mentality I should have. Yeah, yeah. But I'll snap right when we're. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much of a, I don't have much of a Blum's blast. <laughs> My funny. only question is, you know, I haven't watched any of the NBA playoffs. Um, and we haven't talked about golf in forever with the, you know, the, the U.S. Open going on and Tory Pines at a golf course that I absolutely love and I've played several times. But, Ooh. Um, the one, the news that keeps jumping on into my mind or I keep picking up on and I need to do a little more research on, I tried reading an athletic article about it today was in the NBA, Zion Williamson. I thought that he was an absolute freak when he played in college and I still think he's a freak and he's down in New Orleans, oddly enough, the same place that uh, Anthony Davis kind of nurtured his career and now he's a Laker, but how do you not keep a guy like Zion happy? Are you that much of a mess of an organization that you can't keep a guy like Zion Williamson who just plays with, you know, an absolute joy for the game and as good as he is? How do you how is that guy unhappy, man? I don't get what goes on in the NBA that these guys get in these organizations where they just 
you know, they're basically like, screw it. I'm not happy. The organization is treating me. It's not even the organization is treating them. These guys want to win, I think, is what ultimately it comes down to. And they just don't surround them with a good enough supporting cast to really let these guys flourish. I don't know if you've kept up on it, but it was just something that kept kind of like piquing my interest throughout the course of the week as we watched some of the NBA finals, which I don't. But Zion Williamson's too good to be unhappy, man. Yeah, but I, you know, so here's a, there are a couple of thoughts around that. So we just talked about the A's, the Oakland A's, and, you know, the fact that they'll kind of peter out. You know, you have these payrolls and the chemistry. I mean, baseball and football are much more logistically challenged in terms of how you organize your roster. We've seen in basketball over the past few years, maybe it started with the decision by LeBron. Jesus. But when you put LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Bosch on the same team, how good they can be. The Brooklyn Nets have kind of suffered in mediocrity. And then all of a sudden you have the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant, James Harden. The Golden State Warriors were one of those super teams. That's exactly right. But they weren't a super team when I was growing up. They had Chris Mullen and, you know, Mitch Richmond, and they would just get knocked out, you know, run TMC. They should have been. Yeah, yeah. They, they could have been a little better. But uh, I guess my point is in basketball, you can manipulate your situation, right? Anthony Davis was going to go to the Lakers yeah. as soon as he decided – LeBron sent him a text, and now they're saying the same thing about Steph Curry, is that LeBron's like trying to get Steph Curry to think about, you know, hey, maybe you could come join the Lakers too. I mean, the players have a lot more influence in that sport. Are you kidding me with that? No, I'm telling you, because he's going to be a free agent. He'll <laughs> sign a max deal with Golden State. He won't leave. I'm just telling you, when you talk about this collusion That's stuff amazing. and baseball, and they're all they, these guys. Dude, NBA's got the worst tampering. I mean, yeah. you talk about rules being broken. That that's is right. the worst. And it's just five dudes on the floor, right? So LeBron can text anybody. I don't even know <laughs> if that's under the tampering rules. You can just text his buddy, right? I mean, yeah. Chris pa Chris Paul's been on three or four teams in the last three or four years, um, and now he's finally found a spot with the Suns as kind of the the patriarch of that team. And now they're looking like you know. They're looking like they world look beaters. Good. So these guys can manipulate the team. There's parity in most sports. I don't really think there's a lot of parity in basketball. The parity is where does the where do the three superstars want to go and make a make a name for themselves? And so what I think is to answer your question, Zion looks like Anthony Davis. He sees Anthony Davis go, hey, I you know I whined and cried and complained and I got my way out of here. If I can do that and go to the you know go to a team then I can make a difference there and I can win right away. So I think the players realize they have a lot more influence in the NBA than they would typically have. Yeah. Um, you got anything else, brother? No, I don't. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. Of course, we always give a shout out at the end to all of the, all of the military out there, veterans who have served and those who are currently serving on our borders and across the world to protect our safety and give us the opportunity to talk a little smack on Bleacher Blums. And of course, frontline workers, I am now on the baseball field. I have been vaccinated. I am talking to actual physical players. Travel might be in my future. So all of the frontline workers, doctors, nurses, everybody that is included in that medical staff that... Uh, keeps us healthy and is enables us to fight through some of these pandemic type tragic situations. And uh, of course, all of the, uh, you know, the police officers, the EMTs, the firefighters, everybody that races into trouble to fix it for us and keep us safe. We appreciate you. And obviously with us moving to the Blue Wire Network, we're trying to step our game up. So we appreciate Mark Ramos producing our episodes of Bleacher Blums. And of course, he is also a part of Ram Shirts and Crush City Tees. So the, the swag that you see on BleacherBlums.com is courtesy of Mark Ramos. So we appreciate him 
peeling my dog out of the audio on this <laughs> podcast to, to make us sound a little bit better. And uh, of course, producing the swag that we have on bleacherblums.com. But uh, make sure you check that out on our website. You can get to Tuttle on Twitter and Instagram at RealDavidTuttle. And that you can also get to me on Twitter and Instagram going to at Blummer27. And I do believe we are on social media at Bleacher Blums. So that is something new. We are excited about that. Tuttle, I'm going to let you take it to the house because this is the end of the episode, man. Thanks, man. And uh, again, to kind of piggyback on the shout out to the military, I saw a bumper sticker this week that said, once a Marine, always a Marine. And it made me think of Ryan Spader, our man, uh, Ace of Spader is a Marine. So once a Marine, always a Marine. Yep. Stay strong, my friend. Stay strong. The world is uh, the world yep, is with hang you. in their spades. There you go. So I uh, wanted to give a <laughs> shout out to him. And uh, and again, we always encourage you on the Bleacher Bums podcast every week and every day and every minute to get after it and believe.